Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. episode 11 of the focus hunting podcast i'm your host kevin toy today i'm joined by dave Ryder. dave is one of the directors of bc's interior chapter of sci today dave and i discussed a lot of the issues facing british columbia and what we need to do to change things around in our province and with 2021 right around the corner we're going to have a bunch of cool new gear coming out so make sure you check the focus hunting webpage. before we get going i want to thank everybody for tuning into the show make sure to write me and let me know how i'm doing also, if there's anybody you want to hear from or any topics you want to discuss, make sure you write me and let me know, and I'll uh, do my best to get them on the show, and we'll be sure to cover those topics. Oh, turn the rest of this intro up and enjoy the show. Alder Grove, to be exact. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you get it. Yeah. Get... I'm a former Kootenai resident, eh? I went to high school up there and moved back there for a couple of years and stuff like that. And that's why my family, my heart's over in these Kootenais there. I go back at least at least once or twice a year to visit with friends. I do a, about a two-and-a-half-week hunting camp there every year for the last 40 years. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's where I've seen a lot of the impact that's happening here with the white tails and stuff like that, and uh, decided to get my ass off my chair and uh, try to do something about it. Yeah, definitely. How did you get involved with uh, Robin and Hunters for BC? Well, it all started out with uh, when I was up in camp uh, in 2000, uh, uh, was it 2019, 
I, I know a lot of the locals people out there in our deer camp and they always come out and visit and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the conversations that everybody's coming up with, there was the uh, Angela's doe season and the lack of elk uh, that's happening and basically the wolf population and everybody was complaining and, you know, whining about it and stuff like that. And I just kind of got a little fed up and I said, well, what, what's, what are you doing about it? And it just basically got a lot of blank stares. And I, you know, then I said to myself, well, somebody's got to do something. And of course, the thing was, well, what can you do? I didn't have any idea. So I said, well, I'm going to do something. So my oldest son, uh, who's my hunting partner, he's uh, pretty much the same as I am in his thoughts and stuff on conservation. And uh, also one of our uh, uh, directors, but uh, one of the committee members on our SCI group as well. He sent me a link. He said, well, why don't you do a petition? So I thought, well, great idea. So I researched on that. And I started a petition to stop the GOS general open uh, whitetail season and uh, citing what I felt were good reasons. And I put that petition out there and uh, I was really surprised uh, how fast it took off. In a matter of about six weeks, we had like 4,000 supporters. Then what happened after that is uh, Amber Lee and... Uh, Robin got a hold of me. They said, hey, you know, we'd like to promote your petition. We kind of agree with you and your thoughts and uh, how, you know, then uh, basically sent me a link to join Hunters for BC because uh, I wasn't much in for, you know, these hunting groups and stuff like that and until such a time was I started worrying about deer populations. So anyways, basically, long story short, I joined in with Hunters for BC and then I started putting articles and some posts on there and I started realizing there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. So we started, started blogging in there quite a bit and uh, the response was good. And I'm trying to be very, very careful about my topics and subjects. And uh, a little while later, they asked me to become a moderator on there. So I agreed to that. And I didn't know at the time, but they were beginning the formation of uh, the SCI BC Interior chapter. So uh, a little while into uh, just basically being blogging and a moderator at Hunters for BC, they asked me if I would consider joining and become a director for SCI. So right now I'm holding down uh, two positions there. One, a director for memberships and uh, director for fundraising. And for me, it's just been one heck of a ride. And uh, basically all of this has taken place in the last 13 months. It was a year ago, uh, beginning in November, I decided, you know, I'm gonna try to make a difference out here. And uh, with the help of uh, Robin and Amber Lee, and they really helped me get the message out and stuff like that, and uh, being retired and an active hunter, I've decided that uh, everybody needs a hobby when they retire, and this is maybe a little more than a hobby for me. It's maybe a bit of a, a mission, but uh, I decided to get out there and uh, see if I can make a difference in the long run. Yeah, yeah, well, no doubt. Well, you guys are doing a terrific job there. How's the membership drive been? You guys have... Uh... Uh, it, it's been slow. Uh, I recently uh, just put out a bit of a poll here, just trying to understand the demographics behind membership drives a bit there, and I'm getting some information for it from it. And uh, but but it's coming together. You know, we're picking them up steadily. They're trickling in. Um, with the COVID thing right now, in fact, um, we've had some meetings with uh, SCI Canada, like the direct, uh, Jason there, Saint Michael, and uh, a lot of the uh, organizations are actually losing memberships right now as far as renewals on that go so even though it's been kind of slow with this COVID and everything uh, we still are gaining traction you know we're getting they're really trickling in a few here and a few there sort of thing so even gdb just ahead of the game right now under the current circumstances i gotta say you know like we're making progress and it, we are building and uh 
you know, these things don't happen overnight. They take time and uh, we are going to grow. We're going to get stronger and stronger as we go. Yeah. Well, they, that's just it. They definitely, it definitely does take time. Um, but you guys are doing a good job and I mean, you, you're doing pretty good so far. Like you said, you've only been around for, for a year so far. So, um, you're doing good. How's the fundraising side of it been? Uh, the fundraising has been okay. Again, sort of thing, uh, trying to get into some big projects. Uh, we're kind of limited right now. We're still crossing our T's and dotting our I's. Uh, we, right now, we still have a little bit of work left to do before we can get into the major fundraisers. So what we've been doing is pretty small, small potatoes, so to speak. Uh, we're limited with the uh, rules and regulations, how big of a fundraiser we're going to have right now. But we are going to uh, expand on that in the very near future. And then we'll be able to put out some stuff and start doing, you know, hopefully some auctions and stuff like that. Uh, we'll comment that our uh, our promoters and sponsors. I mean, that's coming. That ends coming along really, really well, and we are building a pretty good list of uh, promoters, and uh, that's going to help us out a lot there. When we do put some some uh, auctions or raffles out there, we have some pretty good packages uh, already set up that we can do. It's just a matter of getting the proper licensing in fact, so we can just kind of do everything all legally and. Uh, move forward with that so hopefully within the next couple of months we can make some major announcements and all that and start doing some major fundraising yeah yeah so you, you said you're limited on you're limited for those fundraisers uh with the rules and regulations those rules and regulations are they mandated through scr or is that something just because of the uh, COVID you know, and the, the lottery association like being oh. a non-profit organization what we have to do is uh we have to have our general meeting sort of thing first here and it's a few other little things to wrap up basically we have to uh, a few little things to uh, fulfill our obligations as a nonprofit organization on the technical end of it. And then once we get to that level here, which we hope to do in the next month or so, then we'll be able to host a major fundraiser. Right now we're limited to, I think it's, I believe it's a $500 limit. Oh, I see. On a, on a fundraiser sort of thing, you know, for products yeah. and that. Yeah, and that's... yeah, that's pretty, pretty trivial. You know, we want to put stuff out there with several thousand of the dollars <laughs> sort of thing and try to attract some interest. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. How's the uh, how's the amalgamation with SCI been so far? Been pretty pretty decent, I'd have to say. I certainly enjoy being part of it. Uh, it's a dynamic team there, and uh, you know everybody's working hard towards it. Uh, be nice to get a few more people on the director side of it and the committee sides. Uh, you know we have a pretty big workload right now, but everybody is uh, really committed to it, and uh, you know we're going to move forward, and so we're going to make a difference in the long run, and we're not going to give up. That's great what you guys are doing so far. Hopefully, uh, I talked to Robin about it a bit, and I and Amberly sort of, but I think we're going to try to do a fundraiser with you guys uh, for 2021. So I'm um, currently doing one with uh, the Wild Sheep Society right now, which is just getting off the ground for 2021. So we'll do one with you guys too, and hopefully we can generate some more revenue for you guys. Yeah, well, it's a good experience for us too because I follow the uh, different online auctions and stuff with the different groups fairly good. Uh, you know, having a good model when you promote these things, I think is very important. And uh, even with us, myself, without having to sit back on the sidelines, it's really good to watch all these auctions and stuff play out. And uh, so when we put one together, you know, we'll kind of try to do it right the first time. That's once you launch it. Yeah, I know. COVID, it's got to be definitely got to be an adjustment. So you put out a poll or uh, a survey on Facebook regarding the, the whitetail GOS season. I know uh, you hold that close to your heart. Can you just tell me your thoughts on basically the, the whitetail doe open season? 
Well, yeah, uh, I certainly can. You know, like I said, I've been hunting the Kootenays for many, many, many years. Uh, whitetail are a passion for me. I, I never was a very good elk hunter, so I settled for whitetails. And, uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, like uh, right up until about 10 years ago is when they first launched the GOSCs. And, you know, you can almost see the rationale behind it. Uh, the whitetail population is really expanding. There was nothing for us to see in our hunting uh, trips up there, annual trips to see 30 to 40, 50 does a day and, and a good number of bucks. And, you know, at first uh, rationale was there, okay, you know, maybe there's an overpopulation. And when you looked around you, the boundary area was abundant with whitetails. The Kootenai area was abundant with uh, uh, whitetailed deer. I, I was never, I've never been a hundred percent for a general open season on any antelope animal. Uh, I was always, a, I'm a firm believer that everything should be done on through an LEH system when it comes to uh, herd management and reduction. But that wasn't the case in here. And uh, what really got to me is, you know, first year goes by and we're still seeing lots of white tails. Second year goes by, third year goes by. And after about the third to fourth year, we really started to see the noticeable drop in numbers. And uh, going into uh, as current as this year here, now we've gone down to seeing an average of 30, 40 deer a day to seeing like one or two or three. And it, it's just getting scary out there. Like, where have they gone? And with an unregulated season, what I believe that there's, there's no tracking. Our government here is, uh, to myself and Cody from a biologist I know, is uh, we live in, with governments right now that are reactive. They're not proactive. And the reactive thing here was to, okay, within our system here, let's open up a GOS uh, white-tailed doe season. Let's clean them out. And that's the end of the story. It's almost like a one-liner putting the regulations. It's a free-for-all. It was a multi-deer harvest opportunity. It was basically blanketed province-wide. And uh, then now this harvest is out of control. And what it's done is it's, uh, to me, it's, it's, I see the influx of hunters and, you know, you can't really blame them. A lot of people put a lot of money into hunting and, you know, they want to put some meat in their freezer, but it was really put an incredible amount of pressures and the hunting, the hunters themselves are following the deer trends and the populations and areas that do have surviving pockets and the word gets out there and it just creates an influx of hunters. Um, we're seeing a lot less uh, smaller bucks now. Uh, know for a fact, uh, if you go to in uh, Kimberly there and uh, where they take the uh, CWD uh, for heads for uh, testing, you'll see in there that they had a high percentage of uh, yearlings coming in fawns. And we're seeing that in the bush. We've come across multiple cases where fawns were being shot and left sort of thing. And these are not deer that just ran away. These are deer right close to the roads and people, you know, ones that have been dragged away and stuff like that. And also all that fawn population in theory, about 50% of them are the bucks as well as uh, those. So what we see now is uh, we're, we're not seeing the spikes in the two points anymore. The deer we're seeing are more in the two to three year old range, which is what we kind of target the hunt. You know, we try to target our three year old bucks and uh, albeit, I could say we're seeing more of them, but it's, I don't think the, the, the thing is to say we're seeing more of them, but uh, that's the deer that are available to see. Right. And we're almost at the point now, if we see a doe, a single doe, and uh, we'll keep an eye on that doe because it's not long before there's going to be a buck there. So I, I think the uh, the ratios, of I, I believe the minimum accepted standard is about 20 uh, bucks per 100 does for sustainable population is what uh, my research shows me. And I, I believe where that threshold is becoming more like 
20 bucks to, you know, like $50 or $40 or $30 sort of thing. And uh, these bucks are cruising a lot more now, we're finding. Uh, we're seeing the tracks go through the area. They're not hanging around. They're on the move constantly, 24-7, in search of does. And with that population decline like that, well, everybody does understand whitetail are pretty resilient. But, uh, the, you know, the population has just gone too far. And the rationale behind it is, is just crazy. Uh, they opened up a LEA season in the Caribou this year because of reports of an expanding population. Uh, I had right, one, they, they opened up a LEH for whitetail, though? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And they said because they had reports of expanding population. You know, that's not science to me. <laughs> yeah. And what is that population? A bunch of hunters see some whitetails once in a while and now give one or two seasons. Uh, they're going to be gone as well. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's why I have a real problem with it. It's uncontrolled harvest and it's not backed by any kind of science. Right. And uh, there, there's no way, there, there's not one person in British Columbia that can tell you how many does have been harvested in the last 10 years. No. But everybody out there with boots on the ground can tell you it's been devastating. Uh, I listened to a lot of hunters from Region 8 this year, and uh, they are all indicating that they're not even seeing any deer and, you know, hunter harvest is down negligible. The outfitters are having problems in that area. And uh, the way we feel is more or less falling on deaf ears. Uh, this uh, this year, 2010, there was some cutbacks. Uh, some of the areas did close their whitetail seasons, which was a good thing. Uh, they did reduce some areas, I believe, from two weeks to one week. And as well as in particular in the Kootenays, uh, they quit the overlap of the elk season and the whitetail antlerless season being in conjunction with each other and separated them. And I believe that took a lot of pressure off the deer. But I think we still have a long way to go. Uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago in the Kootenays, I would see dozens and dozens of mule deer. I see hundreds of whitetail. We see them co-appetating. Uh, I used to hunt a lot around the uh, Midway area and in the farmer's fields there, you would see huge populations of deer coming out in the evenings. Uh, uh, you'd see huge groups of mule deer coming out to feed and, uh, you know, cohabitating was okay. Balanced numbers were increasing. Predation was down low and there's a lot of changing going yeah. on and then now we got to throw in the predation with the wolves you know like 20 years ago when, you know i rarely ever if i even if i have seen a wolf track 20 years ago i don't remember but in the recent years uh the areas we hunt are, are basically littered with wolf tracks yeah yeah we see that everywhere i hunt 814 815 area and i spend around the midway rock creek area i spend probably 75 percent of my time hunting down there and I've noticed more with the mule deer decline than I have with the whitetail, uh, whitetail numbers. I know, I think seven, eight years ago when I started hunting in there, in that region, man, there used to be mule deer everywhere. You know what I mean? And it's a combination, I think of, of road access and just hunter numbers. Because when I used to go in there originally, there used to be no hunters in there. And, and over the last five years, there's been guys coming up from Vancouver and, and the rest of the province and into the Christina Valley coming over through Rock Creek area. They got guys in there with side-by-sides and quads and they're, they're making trails in there. And then you know what that's like, you get one side-by-side or one ATV going in one, and then you got 10 ATVs going in there. And then some guy goes in with his truck and you just have roads where you shouldn't. But I don't know if it's the fact that I'm just seeing less mule deer now, but it just feels like I'm seeing more, more white tails than I am mule deer. But having said that, I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm seeing more white tails. I'm just seeing less mule deer. Yeah. Well, have you not noticed a population downtrend though for the, the overall white tail population? 
in the last 10 years? In the specific areas where I hunt, but it's it's pretty private and pretty secluded where I hunt. I mean, it's you can't get in there with a vehicle. You, it's it's about yeah. a one day it's about a one day hike just to get into that area off off the closest road you can get into. So mm-hmm. it, it's quite a ways back. But I I don't think I've noticed a uh, decline in the in the whitetail numbers, but I've definitely <clears throat> noticed a decline in the mule deer numbers. There used to be nice big mule deer back there, and now. Yeah. You know, this year, it took me a long time to find a four by four in there yeah. this year. Yeah, I was yeah. in there, I think, for five days in the back. Yeah, well, I'm certainly going to agree with you on that concept with the uh, mule deer. Uh, in the cooties where we go, uh, I usually catch the tail end of the season for mule deer there. We'll focus on them. And what I've been finding here lately is every time we, they push in a new area, we can go in there. We can usually find some small bands of mule deer, including this year. We found a couple of small bands in some new logging areas, but uh, those, those little herds and that, they only seem to last about two seasons. And then we go back into those areas subsequently after that. And then we did not never see those particular deer again. Now, whether they've been harvested or hunted out or uh, predator, you know, eradicated or whatever. And then those areas, we continue to see the whitetails in, but the mule deer are gone. I watched uh, in a new logging area this year, I watched one band of uh, nine does for about four days. We had them patterned down just about perfectly. We're seeing them uh, evenings and mornings every day. And the biggest buck we've seen with them was a, about a two and a half year old three spike. And uh, I'm pretty sure he'd end up in the breeding because we've never seen a larger buck the whole time. There were two, yeah. two, two, two spikes and one three spike. And that three spike was always dogging them does. Yeah. And even after the uh, mule deer season closed, we continued to have white tail there. And we never ever did see a, a, a legal buck. Yeah. Yeah. We say, I see a lot of, of big three point mule deer in the last, in the last, you know, three, four years, I've been seeing a ton of, ton of the big genetically big three point mule deer. Now, I don't know if that has something to do with the four point season. If these just genetically big three points are doing all the breeding, but you know, there sure is some big three point mule deer out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I noticed uh, they put a season up north in the uh, Hudson Hope area. I was quite surprised by it, uh, an area that had switched over to four point, uh, you know, several years back. And now they, uh, they kind of changed that around. They opened up a general buck season because they felt that it was putting too much pressure on the four spikes. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, well, they, kind of, they kind of reversed the decision. And I think in the long run, that sounds like a good thing. I mean, the bucks are increasing to the point where they needed, you know, another general open season. Yeah. So that, and if the science is there and the numbers are true to the fact you know, I think that's a, that's a good sign of a turnaround, at least in that area. Yeah, in that area, I would be pretty upset if they did that and regenerate because the mule deer, they're just not there anymore. They're, no, we don't even see the little buck hardly. No, I, would, you know, before in that midway area, I used to see, man, 50 mule deer sitting in a in the fields and you just don't see them around anymore. Yeah. They're just, they're gone. I don't know if they, you know, the numbers are so low there or they're just moved on to a different location. Well, we, we just had an estimate come in, and I believe that there's approximately 15,000 kilometers of new access road putting into the province every year. That's gross. And yes. You know, so you can imagine that there, uh, uh, anybody that hunts out there, especially the snow on the ground, can see the wolves if follow the corridors and stuff. Uh, giving credit back, uh, Elk Valley, I just watched a study done on there. And basically, you know, they're, they're de- they took a lot of the access out of that area much to the betterment of the game populations, I'm sure, because the study also showed uh, how it's altered migration patterns. It's altered, uh, you know, wintering grounds and stuff like that. And a lot of the animals aren't leaving anymore. 
And I think that's subsequently true because uh, there's still a good elk population in that area. And I, and I hope they're on time for protecting it. But if you look at surrounding areas, when you go where they would traditionally move into the Bull River areas and stuff there, the people I know that hunt those surrounding areas there are finding less and less game on their side all the time. And, uh, and, I, and I think that at least partially has to do with the fact that the game of their milder winters and that are just, they're just not moving and they're not distributing further out into the reaches like they used to do. Well, the, the predator numbers, I mean, Obviously, you can go anywhere in the province. I think you're going to see an increase in predator numbers. Yes, I hunt all over the province from uh, from up to uh, the Tumbler Ridge area, North Fort St. John, Port Nelson. I've done some fly-in trips up on, you know, south of the Yukon border to some lakes. And, uh, yeah, and I see, and, and, and on, with all the, the uh, outdoor groups that I'm part of, predators are like an everyday topic. Sort of thing. Everybody's seen them. Uh, I just recently uh, joined in with a group on Vancouver Island, and um, I hadn't done much research over there, and uh, I was quite surprised to see that they're they're saying the same thing over there now. Uh, I used to hunt Vancouver Island when I was in high school, and deer are plentiful, bucks are plentiful. Uh, I'd never seen a wolf track, never seen an elk track in those days either, except for one. <laughs> I think it was 1980 or 81, the first time I seen an elk track, and uh, they they have the same issues there. They got a lot of cats. They got a lot of wolves in there now, sort of thing, and their populations are dwindling. And uh, where you can tell the difference is, is in the urban areas, the populations are actually stable and increasing because of the no hunting pressure and the no predator pressure, right? So, yeah. so something's happening out there, and uh, we don't make change. I don't know what's going to happen going down the road here. And a lot of the hunters I talk to here, we're just afraid now we're getting to that point of no return if we don't start acting on something. And, uh, our local governments and, you know, going back to here, you know, we're in a reactive society, not a proactive. Nobody's willing to put a hammer down and say, hey, well, let's just stop. Uh, part of my petition was, you know, let's stop it right now and do some studies, see if there is a sustainable harvest out there. You know, if there is a sustainable harvest, let's do it in such a form that we can monitor it. And, uh, and as we all know, that part hasn't happened yet. But if we, yeah. can't, we can't monitor a harvest, we can't, we... We, we can't control our wildlife populations. We don't know what's going on out there. You know, we're, we're beat right from step one. You know, there's a lot of different ideas and obviously anti-hunters have, anti-hunter organizations have their own theory on, on predators and stuff like that. How would you like to see the predators handled in this province? Well, I, I'm a firmer belief that uh, we got to reduce predation. This problem is it's beyond sustainability for the, uh, the ungulate populations. Uh, the best example of that is you just have to look at the introduction of the 30-something wolves into Yellowstone and the other batch into Idaho, and you just look how the numbers were spread. And that was a lot to do with the healthy uh, populations of deer and elk. And they're spreading, and it just, like, everybody says, let nature do its thing, but it is the thing we want the, the wolves to do is to annihilate the population, turn to other feed food sources. And then it's, you know, it then becomes more moose, more caribou. You know, as there's less deer, less everything. Uh, some of the studies that uh, they're doing on on the uh, cougar population in the Penticton area is um, they're having cougars there that are hitting up more calf moose now. Yeah. Where primarily the mule deer was the target. And, other, and there's a reason for that. And it's because cougars, like any kind of predator, is going to be an opportunist. And even they have a preferred species to feed on, they're going to take what they can get. And in this case here now, it's turning from mule deer to moose in some of the areas. We kind of need to band together all organizations and come up with a reasonable 
Well, current wolf populations, uh, uh, which I'm pretty sure this would be an accurate statement I make it, but uh, a lot of the biologists, they recommend an 80% reduction on the wolf population. 80%, 80%, like 80% reduction of what we have now. Yeah, compared to what we have now would be considered sustainable. Both for the wolves and for the young ones, yeah. Yeah, and and that information is out there. In fact, I will quote that 80% because I do have those... uh, comments from biologists and stuff and reports and studies on file you know the reduction of wolf numbers is such a sticky subject for any politician though they i think it's up to uh, to hunters to take that upon themselves and and deal with the the wolf numbers and and cat numbers themselves but one one thing i have noticed here with all the different sites i'm on it's a lot more of the hunters are starting to consider and have been taking that matter into their own hands that's good uh, they're they're out there they're asking each other advice on how to hunt wolves in fact, uh, SCA put SCI here just recently. We put on a uh, an advanced uh, wolf trapping clinic with a couple of experts in the field. It was a big success. It was for trappers and uh, basically was based on how to do pack elimination. Oh, yeah. And they got a lot of response. And uh, we have some other groups now that we're affiliated with, and uh, they're looking into hosting the same type of programs and that. So people do want to get educated on that. There, so, uh, myself personally, uh, I plan on doing some serious predator hunting. Yeah. Uh, I've done a lot of research on, uh, you know, how to hunt wolves and stuff like that. And I think the people are going to get out there, but whether they can put a significant dent in the population has, uh, you know, yet to be seen. Anybody listening that wants to get into wolf hunting, where can they find information on that? Uh, well, we did an advanced wolf trapping clinic. Um, they can, uh, you can go to our SCI site and uh, you, can, you can put it there. We can give you some information on that and how the course was conducted. And, um, there is uh, another uh, group, their uh, Kootenai Elk Hunters Association. They uh, are uh, coming to us right now for information, and they are actually attempting to put on a clinic. They're just going to start to that. They're trying to uh, basically do the same thing we did and get right. that information out there. And uh, basically, we had two, uh, like two, uh, you know, high-end trappers. I believe one of them was a fame uh, from the past, not officially, but I think he was a, a previously a former game warden as well, or at least his brother probably was. And um, we got to get that education out there and stuff like that. And the clinics that we hosted, uh, they were uh, very positively received. They were successful as far as the clinic goes on. Well, we didn't use it to make any money. Sure thing, you know, by the time we paid for the people's time to come down and stuff like that yeah. and host it that but uh we goes out there because there's a lot of when it comes to uh wolf pack eradication there's a lot of things you got to consider and uh because wolves being highly intelligent they catch on pretty quick oh yeah they yeah they definitely do i've tried hunting wolves i mean i've killed a few coyotes in my life and all my techniques have just been calling but i need to brush up on my research as well i'm I'm guilty of that techniques i'm going to try here is uh, I made a lot of sense to me is we know how wolves hate dogs and wolves hate coyotes is to uh, mimic uh, use the coyote decoy and um, so I'm going to be that's what one thing I want to try is you put a coyote decoy out there and from the people that uh, the articles I read about it is what will happen if you go out there with your you know your little bunny that flips around and stuff in your yep. uh, cottontail collar your snowshoe hair squeal sort of thing, it, it'll, it'll, it'll bring out one of the wolves. A pack will come into it, they'll stand back in the timber, one of the wolves will go out to investigate, and then subsequently that wolf will either get shot or shot at. Whereas uh, with the pack tendency, if they see a coyote or a dog out there, they have a tendency for the whole pack to come up. Oh, yeah. 
you know, and then giving you multiple opportunities. So that, that's definitely one a technique that uh, I'm looking forward to trying. Yeah, definitely. I'll look into that. That's cool. Yeah. There, there is a lot of good research uh, available out there on the internet about wolf yeah. hunting, you know, and uh, of course you're going to have to source through it. And a lot yeah. of it's mundane. It's the same stories over and over and over. But I find when you do enough of that, you, you know, a person can pick up a few techniques here and there. That makes sense. Well, and that's just it. You just have to get out. You could read as much as you want, but until you actually get out in the field and figure it out or figure a lot of it out, exactly. you're never really going to. You know, it, it is illegal. To, we are allowed to bait bulls. Yep. Uh, uh, that's something, like I say, you know, a lot of the trappers will do that. Uh, they'll go put big bait piles, you know, because trappers can claim road kills and stuff. In wintertime, they'll drag them out on a frozen lake and they'll yeah. start to piles out there. They'll wait till the you know, packs start feeding in there. And then they'll go and either trap or shoot them, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that's another thing, uh, you know, people can get into baiting, you know, down to your local butcher shops or whatever. I think it would be, a lot of them would be happy to contribute a few piles with their bones and scraps to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's an exercise in patience too, I'm sure. Yeah. I, that's one thing I kept the bones and leftovers from the, from the deer and, and a little bit of the elk. It's all stuffed in my deep freeze, which my wife absolutely hates, but I'm going to use that to bait in some cougars. I've had a few cougars on my trail cameras and then that one area where my buddy had an encounter with one, I, I'm hoping to to maybe get to get one out of there. So we'll see how it goes. Well, the predator numbers, if we get them down, I'm, you know, it's definitely going to help uh, the ungulate populations because they, they are a great threat in BC right now, I believe. And I mean, if we don't do something, if we don't start, then, I mean, we're never, I don't think we're ever going to get the wolf, like just hunters alone will ever get the wolf population down 80%. I mean, that that's a lot of wolves. <laughs> never, yeah. You know, and we're beyond the day of the old time school where they used to use poison baits and stuff. In BC, through all the prairies and stuff, a predator management was very, very extensive and very hardcore in those days. And nowadays, it's uh, a matter we're going to have to go out there and, and it's not cost effective. And you hear the people, well, you know, sterilize the females and stuff like that, but that's not cost effective either. I mean, we can barely get enough money out of the government to, to, to sustain our conservation office services, much less have, you know, pro programs that are high priced and high valued like that on the go at the same time. Yeah. Well, and there's so much backlash as well. I mean, look with the Northern BC wolf call, how much backlash you face with that. It's just, there's, you're getting at it from every angle, basically. Yeah. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, some of the studies I've read up there, especially on the caribou and the moose populations, the wolf call is working. Those populations are increasing. But that kind of information is hard to find because I, I really believe it's being kept quiet on purpose. You know, it's just, you know, these things have to be done almost like uh, incognito sort of thing, you know, to, to get away from that kind of backlash yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah, I know it's definitely hard to find any information on that because I've looked, I've looked into it and I couldn't find anything. But I mean, that would be a good way about it is is to keep it uh, keep it on the down low. That way you're gonna sit, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna face less backlash if less people know about it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. As soon as it hits public, well, the media, you know, and they have a tendency they can distort the facts pretty easy too. Oh, they definitely do a good job of that. That's for sure. So back to the GOS whitetail doe season, the general open season. What do you think about uh, LEH for whitetail though? Would you rather see it go? Because they know I, I personally hate the elk. Like in Region Eight, there's a elk uh, antlerless LEH, and I absolutely yeah. hate that. I think the antlerless elk should just be left alone. I think the elk are having a hard enough time as it is. I hunt elk every year, and man, you know you're not yeah. seeing an increase in numbers. That's for sure. Uh, I'm hearing that from all over the Kootenays, west and east. Sort yeah. Of thing. Uh, about the uh, elk populations are down there. Uh, myself, right now at this point in time, I do believe that uh, antlerless, you know, game management is part of a program. This is not the time for it right now. I also, uh, in my beliefs, I think every 
every species of big game harvester should uh, be subject to mandatory reporting and databases should be kept when the science and the biologies and, the, and, and especially the people with the boots on the ground, they got to have a bigger voice. And I think when those numbers all come together, as they figure that in order to uh, sustain populations, uh, prevent uh, overpopulation on wintering grounds, uh, stuff like that there. And then I think uh, there's a time and a place for a naturalist season, but it's under strict guidelines. And I like to see that uh, done through an LEA system and uh, mandatory reporting. I, I think if we took the white-tailed doe season right now, if we had mandatory reporting and it was uh, done on there, I think that we would just be astounded at the numbers of deer that have been harvested in the last 10 years yeah. under, under an uncontrolled program. And, and we don't know what we're taking out of the bush. No. How do we know what's left? How can we put back? Hey, yeah, well, we definitely don't know. Yeah, we definitely don't know the amount of deer killed. I mean, same with, with the Spike Fork bull in Region 8. I absolutely hate that. I Personally, I think that all moose should be LEH only in Region 8. I've come across so many three-point bulls just left in the bush. You know, it makes you <laughs> sick. Same yeah. with say, the six-point elk. I've come across five-point elk and, you know, guys are in the bush and they just get excited and they shoot first and... and count later but man it sure yeah. makes me sick no and uh you know you're not alone with that story you know like i said i have a lot of contacts out there and i hear these stories all the time especially during hunting season and uh there is a lot of uh you know immature uh, moose killed that do not make the legal standings there is also a lot of uh, elk killed in the five spike range that's that's for sure sort of thing and uh we there's just hunter mistakes or like you say if people just not shooting or you know, are thinking about before they shoot, you know, counting times. I mean, there, there should be no excuse for it because, you know, you're supposed to be able to identify your target accurately and make sure it's a legal animal, but it's just uh, under controlled. And uh, hunter opportunity is a great thing. Uh, and I love hopper hunter hunting, especially when it comes to kids, new hunters and stuff like that. And the opportunity for a 10 year old to get out there and harvest a doe or something, you know, when that population is sustainable, I'm all for that. But we don't know what the population is. Yeah. How can we do that? And, uh, you know, we're in a society out there, and, and a lot of hunters are guilty of it, is take, 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 take. But um, very few want to put anything back into the system and back yeah. into the environment. That's completely true. We all, as hunters, we all love to hunt. But right now, we have to give more than we take out. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things that uh, I really campaign for is the unification of all these hunting groups out there. There's some really good groups out there. They, uh, I, I did that right up with all the groups that I interact with. There's a potential of uh, 65,000 people that can read my blogs if everybody is a member of them groups. So it, it has a huge outstanding reach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing I do is I usually go to administrations before I even start uh, on their pages. And I, and I tell them that my story, you know, here that, you know, I'm going to lean towards the conservation thing. You know, I am going to promote uh, conservation groups and all that, but at the same time, trying to maintain, you know, intelligent dialogue with the people within your group and uh, the, all the administrations that I've gone through so far have fully agreed, you know, we can do that. And I, and I think by uniting that amount of people sort of thing, you know, you got to have a voice, but just belonging to a Facebook group does not give you a voice. No, it doesn't. So Robin and I have talked about that before. Can we make that happen? Well, the first thing is, is I, we, we do know that you're not going to appease all the groups. And there was a, uh, a coalition sent off to the uh, Liberal government and the NDP government. And we were working on the terms of reference to it as we speak and uh, pretty much completed that. But it, inside that, and I don't care if you're, you know, a green group, uh, you know, a pro hunting group sort of thing. There's everybody in this province realizes we have a problem. 
So in there, as uh, we've been putting it here too, we have to build a pie. And uh, that pie has to say what's best for wildlife in British Columbia. And then after that pie is built and we have sustainable uh, goals and stuff like that, and the money put back into the system, there is points we can all agree on. And if we agree on that, we can get it to legislation. Then that's, that's a whole different story. What happens with that pie, how it gets divided up between the different groups, that's a story for another day. But the thing is you have to do is you have to have the invocation. If, if you need to go to a government with like 100,000 voices sort of thing, you know, because it's all about votes. Yeah. And we're not going to get anywhere without the, the votes, eh? And if we don't start turning around some, uh, you know, the government's way of thinking by just saying, hey, we've had enough. You know, we have to protect our resources. We have to rebuild our resources. We have to put the natural back into supernatural BC. And if we don't do that, uh, we're, we're managing down to population zero. Yeah. So I think unification, everybody, I think everybody should belong to a nonprofit organization that supports wildlife management. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to pick all and say, of course, I'm SCI. I'm not going to say we're the best or we're the top dogs here. What I'm going to say is, you know, everybody has a bit of a different mandate. But when you look at the goals, if you have a goal into preserving wildlife and habitat, you know, whatever your beliefs are, you should be part of that. And, you know, and if you're not funding those operations, they're just not going to go anywhere. Definitely. I agree with you 100% on that. You know, myself, I'm, I'm a member, I think, of every organization out there, but uh, not, yeah. everybody, not everybody has to be. I know too many hunters that aren't members of any organization. Exactly. I was talking with Kyle recently with the Wild Sheep Society, and we were talking about the annual sheep tags sold in comparison to the, the members of the Wild Sheep Society. You figure everybody in BC hunting wild sheep be a member of the Wild Sheep Society. If you're a resident hunter here, you should be a member of you know any organization. You don't Like you said, you don't have to name specific ones, but you got to do your part. Exactly. You know, and, you know, and we have to make our government accountable. It is, you know, and especially things, you know, it's a shame. Uh, BC gets roughly $35 million a year to the coffers for the ministry. And that pays for the gay warrants of funding for a lot of the studies and stuff like that. It's $35 million a year, plus they threw in an extra, I believe, $10 million this year to some projects. You look at south of the border at Idaho, when they, uh, you know, they put $125 million a yeah. year into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the, there's a lot of successful models in the states I've looked at. And the funding is uh, based heavily on the Robert Pittman Act. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah. I think you mentioned it earlier, actually, like that. And I think the outdoors people of British Columbia, you know, are, are willing to take a serious look at that if it creates the funding that we need. Yeah, you know, I've talked about it on my podcast for yeah, those models they have down there. I mean, which hunter wouldn't pay an extra, you know, 10% tax that goes directly into funding as long as it's not going into the general pro- provincial kitty. Exactly, yeah. And it has to it has to go back into the management of this province. It can't I don't want to see that money. I don't want to be paying 10% on anything and then find out it's not going to what it's designed to go to. Exactly. Like, you know, the the, the money, you know, uh, last time I checked here, I think uh, hunting in BC excluding uh, license and tag fees and everything puts about $350 million into the province. Yeah. Wow. Where's the cut to protect that? (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. So you, yeah, yeah, well, you take 10% of that and you put that directly back into the management and then you add 35 or plus 10 million that the guy that is thrown in from tags and and, and other stuff. And I'm not sure the quote on this here, but I just, I didn't have my references up here, but I'm pretty sure the last decimal I got was about $190 million comes in, in from licensing revenue 
one each year in this province, 190 million comes in and we're yeah. getting 45 million. Yeah. And this is a good year because they added 10 million of what they normally do. Exactly. Yeah. And we look at the campaign promise, uh, promise from the NDP. That was one of the things that was on their campaign promising that they were going to put that money back into it. And then now they reneged on that shortly after they get it. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you know, so once we get to the political level, I mean, it's going to be a touchy subject. You know, we got to, you know, you're going to have to find a party that's representing, you know, what the population of BC needs, you know, because it's, it's all about wants and needs. And when you have the basically the coastal areas here that are dictating how our provinces run, yeah. you know, to me, it's, it's, it's run by wants. It's not run by needs. I want that. And but what it is we need. And we got to find a platform out there that uh, satisfies the needs of what this province has. And yeah. we got to bring our resources back up. I mean, we're like I'm, I'm ashamed of the way the world looks upon British Columbia. Yeah. It's not a provincial thing; it's a world thing. Absolutely. You know, and everybody knows that uh, we're basically just taking our resources and we're just destroying our reputation as a yep. leader in conservation. We're destroying our reputation for having, you know, one of the most abundant species of uh, animals in the you know in all of North America, right here in BC. And we're losing that at an alarming rate. I mean, look at the caribou. That's evidence right there. Yeah. You know, you talk to other guys that aren't from, from this province and aren't from Canada and they're from the States. All they say about BC is, you know, they revel in the game we have up here. And and like you said, if we don't do something, if we don't act today, right now, it's going to be gone. My my children won't have the same opportunities that I have right now. You know, you know when, I, when I put out articles and stuff there, it's just, you know, it shouldn't be this way, but I get some of my best information on BC from U.S. sources. All right. You know, you know, we, we our southern neighbors here are keeping a better eye on what's going on up here than we are. Yeah, I know. You that's know? sad. And that, that's, 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 you know, that's shameful. Yeah, you know? it is. We just need to, yeah, we yeah. need to step up. You know, you know, you know, Kevin, and I don't even, like, just to retain on that a little bit there, is it's not even BC hunters. It's the outdoors people of BC. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, hunters, we have probably, you know, an estimate of about 100,000 hunters in British Columbia. But we got to talk about the fishermen. We got to take the campers. We got to take the photographers. We got to take that. They're all part of that group. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that number grows substantially from the hundred thousand hunters we have. There, there's uh, that the, the coalition that went out to government in a matter of weeks. Uh, they got like two hundred fifty thousand plus supporters yeah. behind it. You know, and those are all user groups. Like here in Kelowna, you know, I. <laughs> I know a handful of people, too many people that they consider themselves outdoorsmen. They ski and they hike and, you know, they do stuff like that, but they're absolutely opposed hunting. Yeah. You know, it's hard to make the, the connection know, but, between true outdoors people and people are, are going for a hike up Knox Mountain. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they're, they're still part of what's going on out there. They're part of the pollution. They're part of everything. Yeah, well, they are. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and, and all the people that go anywhere in the outdoors have to accept some responsibility for what's going on out there. I don't care if you're a skier or a snowboarder or a snowmobiler or whatever. If we want to bring the province back and we have to look at the province, we're BCers. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and um, the, the, the better we unite, the more we can do. Well, I think, I think fishermen and hunters should be the model of that. I think hunters, as hunters and fishermen, as true outdoorsmen, we could do a little bit more. We could stop leaving so much trash in the, in the back country. You know, we can stop shooting signs. Yeah. Again, we can stop shooting three-point moose on, yeah. you know, when it's supposed to be a two-point. There's a lot of things that we can do amongst ourselves to give ourselves yeah. a better reputation. You know, one of the things I'm not campaigning right now, too, is uh, anti-poaching campaigns. Yeah. 
you know, it, it's just the food and the fodder for the anti groups. Oh. That uh, you know, everything we can do right barely makes you know barely makes the news. But you put one poacher out there, and it's got worldwide coverage. Yeah, exactly. There's so many ethical hunters and like you said, 100,000 registered hunters in the province. There's so many ethical and good hunters, but it only takes one asshole to fuck it up for the rest of us. Exactly. And how, how do we enforce poaching? We, do, we don't have a budget big enough. Our conservation officers are overworked. There's sort of thing. Uh, some of them have huge tracts of land they got to cover. Uh, you know, lots of people say that, you know, they, a lot of people have given up on voting the seals. Because they can't get through or they can't act yeah. on it like that, you know, and, and you can't blame the CEOs. No. If you don't have a budget, you know, a few years back, I mean, they were staying home because they didn't have money for gas. Yeah. You know, yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, one well, of the things. Yeah. And I mean, you look at, it comes down to everything. Like, look at the wages the CEOs make compared to a police officer or like a DFO. I mean, it should, it blows my mind that they're that much lower. How are you supposed to recruit any new people to become conservation officers, you know, if they're not equal on the playing field? Exactly. And the education they need, I mean, they all got to have university degrees in biologists and stuff like that, biology or whatever, before they even consider you. Yeah. For that position. And uh, who's going to go to that kind of trouble to make substandard wages? Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, we definitely need change. and you know, I mean, we need to support that faction too. You know, you know, we need our government to step up to the plate here and start. We got to put a real force out there if we're going to police the wilderness. Eh? I know a lot of hunters. Not why well, I should say that. I, I know of a lot of hunters who just, they want nothing to do with CEOs. They figure they're the enemy and they don't support them in any way. And I think that needs to change as well. I think, you know, yeah, the hunting community does. needs to realize that the conservation officers are there to support us. They're there to help us. And mm. we'd be in real trouble without them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it would just go rampant. Yeah. You know, with, uh, yeah. You know, like people make mistakes, report them. Yeah. I won't get into details. I made a mistake a couple of years ago here and I did a self reporting. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, it scared the hell out of me the process of doing it, but I did. And I made a report to the game wardens and uh, sort of thing. And I went and had an interview with a couple of them, sort of thing. And uh, they treated me very well. They certainly did dig in to make sure I was telling the truth. And the facts, and uh, at the end of the day, it was a very, very positive experience, and I had, you know, nothing but uh, good to say about the experience. And the thing is, is I felt I did my part as a hunter. Uh, I made a mistake. The repercussions against me were negligible, and under the circumstances. And uh, basically, I walked away there, say, you know, and I didn't have to look over my shoulder, and it was actually a good feeling. Yeah, you know, and I gained a lot of respect. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, I, I had a very, very bad experience when I was younger in the Cooties with a game warden. Sort of thing was physically assaulted in the bush and stuff like that for no reason. And uh, I've always been a little bit of gun shy game wardens, and I'm not, you know, my my philosophy was just avoid them with as all as much as possible, avoid them, uh, avoid you know, give them information or anything, and just you know, play it safe instead of playing the story. And uh, you know, and it changed my attitude. Yeah. Sort of thing. They're, they're no different than everybody else are. there's good ones and there's bad ones and exactly i mean you know there obviously is it's like with anything there's going to be good officers there's going to be bad officers but yeah i mean and that's the thing is you spend enough time in the bush and shit's going to happen so i'm not going to sit here and say i'm perfect we've all made mistakes in the bush and but yeah you have to you have to just man up and and deal with your mistakes yeah yeah well, I agree with you. you know and then you know you put a lot of more uh, face in yourself and in the system when you do yeah. that and see how it really works uh, this last year at the sportsman show, I went to the uh, the uh, game warrants had a setup of the BC sportsman show down here at the Tradex. 
And um, I was just starting this, of course, a year ago, I was just starting with uh, Hunters for BC and the concepts of SEI. And I went and asked them a direct question. And I said, if we could help fund you, they were the Okanagan uh, Seals, everything from the colonial area, I believe. And I said, if, if we could create something for you for funding, what would you like to see the most? And basically, uh, the things they asked for were so simple, like, you know, we just love to have some better optics, you know, and stuff, uh, you know, things like night vision technology. Uh, the one game warden says, he said, I just love to have somebody give me an old beater boat so I can really? go incognito and go around and, you know, and, and do enforcement on local fisheries and lakes and stuff like that. He says, you know, can you put a game worn boat in there? Everybody knows you're coming sort of thing. He yeah. says, and he says, and I do it all the time. He says, but I use my own boat, you know, and there's a lot of them out there. They basically, the concept was they're using a lot of their own equipment because they just don't get adequate funding to do their yeah. job with a lot of things. Yeah. It, it's funny that we can't find funding somewhere for these guys. I mean, you know, the RCMP, I mean, obviously this is municipality, but I mean, the RCMP in, here in Kelowna, they just got a $20 million new office building and now they're already talking about expanding it. So, I mean, growing up on the coast, I had a number of friends that were involved with Department of Fisheries and Oceans and they had the stuff they had and the funding they had seemed unlimited. Yeah. So I don't know why conservation officers here in this province can't get a little bit of that. Exactly. And like I say, the budget's pretty small, you know, yeah. Well, they go there and you spread out to all the other places that that same money has to go. So, yeah. And, and getting back to that funding, too, is uh, as you mentioned earlier here, yeah, that funding cannot go straight into the government coffers and then be decided by the government where that money is going to be spent. Eh? That money's got to go into, and we're uh, advocating for that, it's got to go to an independent body. Yes. And an independent uh, team or board that decides where it's spent. It's got to, we've got to take the politics out of that money. Yeah, absolutely. We got to put it back where it has to go, and that's one of the models that uh, we hope one day to be able to mandate within the province. Eh? You know, that's got to be kept, you know, kept separate. It's a separate entity. It's got to be designated for a purpose and utilized wisely within that purpose. Yeah. So, what's the first step we do to to achieving that? How do we go about adapting, say, Pittsman Robertson Act? Well, I tell you, if you want to go a little further in this year, I'm kind of trying to do that now. Uh, I looked very hard. I was never much into politics until recently. And I looked very, very hard at the, um, what the three main groups, the Liberals, the NDP, and the Conservatives have to offer. Uh, I wrote letters to all three groups expressing concerns. A, uh, basically, I've had no replies from the NDP or from the Liberals. But however, I did get some uh, really positive response from the Conservatives. In fact, I've had uh, three meetings with them now with some members and uh, with uh, them all being involved, including uh, Trevor Bowen is being involved in this here. And uh, what they want to do here, they say the procedure we have to do that. When I, when I say I, I kind of lean towards the conservatives, because when I look at their platform, it's, it's orientated more towards BC resources than the other platforms. Okay, this is my own personal opinion. So I have met with them, I've had three meetings now and uh, basically what they've asked me to do is help them table a bill to go to thing and listing uh, several of the articles that we've been talking about here as we feel that's mostly important to uh, bringing the BC back within the, where it should be. And uh, so I'm in the process of right now. I haven't really made any announcements on it. Great. Uh, looking towards making doing some podcasts up for the near future. Um, basically, I'm waiting for uh, just getting in with my uh, local uh, representative of the Conservatives, and then we're going to begin the tabling of bills. And uh, they seem to be very, very, very interested in going this way. 
and they think it's a very good time. We have some very, very good points that they would like to have a table sort of thing. So basically I'm doing this on my own and, uh, and uh, I will involve other groups and entities if it moves forward. That. So I'm just hoping here, in fact, I, this has all been taking place over the last month. So I wow. figured to get any type of government response and to get a commitment that they want to act on it and they want to move forward. And now just to start, you know, creating the agenda to put forward in a bill there, I'm hoping for some positive results. And uh, sure, they, you know, they don't hold much power right now in British Columbia, but what we have here is long-term issues. Yep. And if we can make a change come next election time and support a government that's willing to support our needs, then that's where I'm going to go with that. Yeah, well, that's great, Dave. If you need anything, just let me know. We're always here to support you. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I do appreciate that, Kevin. And like I say, it's just a matter now of seeing how serious you are about this here and how it works out. Uh, I <laughs> I can pretty much be rest assured. You know, I feel like at times I'm getting in way over my head. Sort of thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I opened up the can of worms. They actually came to me about it, wanted to know more. So I figured now that I've put myself in that position, I'm obligated to uh, follow through with it. I fully intend to do so. Again, you know, that's awesome. If you need anything, just just let me know. Uh, we're here for you, and and I'll yeah. I'll voice as much as I can for the for hunters. And then to your question, I says, how does this all start? Well, that's the question I posed to them. How do we start this? And they right. said, and this is how they said, this is how we need to start it. Awesome, buddy. That's great. We'll see, we'll that's see where awesome. it goes from here. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, you know, we've I've taken up an hour of your time, but I really appreciate you coming out today, Dave. Yeah, well, pleasure meeting you, Kevin, and I want to thank you and your company for all the support you've offered us to at SCE and the other various groups. Well, keep up the good work, and uh, basically we just have to get the information out there, and we have to unite the people of BC, the hunters of BC. We'll, uh, we'll talk more about, about how you're making out with the bill and stuff, and, and we'll yeah, keep going from there. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you uh, posted how that moves along. Yeah. And I figure if we can put some weight in some, uh, we have something substantial there, then uh, let's get together and just get some opinions on it and see where we can go from there. Okay, Dave. Appreciate your time. Yeah. And, uh, we'll talk soon. You too, Kevin. Take care.